0: You're listening to episode 96 of the Tennis Files podcast with special
1: guest James Blake. Welcome to the Tennis Files Podcast, bringing you advice from the top minds in tennis to help you improve your game. And now, here's your host, Mirban Iranshad.
0: Hey everyone, I hope you're having a fantastic week so far. First off, my apologies for not being able to put out an episode last week. As most of you probably know, I was in the thick of things with Tennis Summit 2019. And it was just an amazing event with over 30 world-class coaches and experts. And uh, just an incredible time and so much information given out. And so many thousands of people, players just like you attended and really enjoyed it. So if you attended uh, the summit, I just want to thank you so much for all your support. And kind messages and everything. And for today's episode, I want to bring you an interview I did with James Blake. We actually did a live stream a couple days ago, and so I decided to bring this audio of uh, this interview with James on the podcast because. First off, he is just such a such a great guy, uh, really nice and uh, very giving of his time. He was actually, I think, in the midst of a family trip and, uh, and had a full day's worth of uh, activities, but he was able to get together with me in the morning to chat about his career and uh, some really big takeaways that I think everybody will really enjoy and also really enjoy on the actual live stream. So. Uh, I I know that we don't really need too much of an introduction for James so uh, I mean he was number four in the world so I'll give you that one little teaser I guess if you don't know but again just such a great pleasure to speak with such a great champion and fantastic all-around guy so with that I want to take it right to the interview so please enjoy my interview with James Blake. I know that James your time is a little limited I uh, you know, you have a beautiful family and so we want to get in some questions uh, for you. And uh, James, I first want to ask you, you know, what was the hardest part of being uh, a tour professional and, you know, the, the grind and, and, and trying to be the best you could be?
2: Well, there's uh, there's so many parts of the, the game that aren't just between the lines, um, that aren't just putting in the practice. I love the practice. I loved the competition. I loved so many parts of it. But for me, the toughest part was the travel. Um, I remember when uh, you talked to my, my wife and kids are in the house right now but like, when my wife when we first started dating uh, I was still on tour and she would come on the road and hear about all these places I was going I'm going to Rome I'm going to Madrid I'm going to Paris and um, you know it's five six weeks straight in Europe and then I'm calling her after the third or fourth week and I'm Man, it's getting there, so I want to just be home and she's thinking what's wrong you know this spoiled spoiled brat that's saying you know things being on the, these one races and then she ended up starting to travel with me some and then she understood she's like okay now I get it your, your trip to, to Rome is not the same as someone else is because you're in the hotel, you're at the courts, you're in the hotel, you're at the courts, you're going to dinner, you're at the hotel, you're at, the, you know, nothing really exciting. I will, I'm not doing a lot of So the way you say someone's business, they're, they're pleasure. So it uh, just becomes a little different. And for me, I'm a little more of a homebody. So I like, uh, I always liked being at home. So it was, uh, that that for me was the toughest. And um, as I got a little older and older, it was my body starting to, starting to kind of falter. I had a surgery on my knee. Um, that was bad for a, a few years before I even had the surgery. My shoulder was getting worse and worse. So, uh, I'm just kind of dealing with the fact that your body isn't reacting the same way it was when you were 23, 24, 25 years old.
0: Yeah, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And it's incredible to see uh, players like Federer, you know, just – still playing out there and at an amazing level, um, but you definitely had some great battles with him, James. And also curious, too, you know, tennis is also a metaphor for life, so I was wondering, you know, what maybe are a couple uh, key takeaways that you took from your experiences on the tour that you apply now, you know, whether you're being a tournament director or in other facets of your life.
2: Well, Yeah, throughout the the whole metaphor for life thing, I definitely feel like there's a few things. One is um, that things happen for a reason, and what seems like the, the best possible situation for you turns out to later not be so great, what turns out to be something that you think is terrible at the time turns out to be good. When I hurt myself in Rome, um, I thought it was the worst thing it made it so that I was probably going to miss out on the Olympics in 2004 and um, it turned out to be one of the best things for me. I got to go home and spend uh, spend time with my father uh, as he was battling stomach cancer. Um, It gave me a different maybe a little different and better perspective on life in general so it turned out to be a positive even though I thought it was the worst thing at, at, at the time and you know some people I think have tons of deaths really early on in their careers and it, it starts to haunt them because maybe they can't compete with that, they can't get they have too much pressure and you know so it, it just teaches you to kind of take every moment and never get too high, never get too low and try to take uh, each situation as it comes and, and learn from it. So for me I never planned on being a tournament director but as it comes and um, I'm learning, I, I, the first year I learned on the job and got, you know, to me now it's getting better and better and I'm enjoying it more and it's something I never really planned on and I just try to take each, you know, each situation and do the best I can in each situation. And um, I think on the tennis court, a lot of times you think about you control certain things, you control your footwork, you control your effort. You can control things like that, but you can't control the weather. You can't control the wind. You can't control how well your opponent's playing. You can't control the crowd. You can only control the, the things
0: that you uh, you have the power to and you accept that and do the best of with, um, with kind of what you can do. Really appreciate that uh, sage advice there, James. Uh, wonderful insight. And I was wondering, James, you know, everybody's interested with routines and kind of what, what the the best in the world do to prepare themselves before matches. So I was wondering if you have – any maybe tips or you know some things that you did before matches that especially helped you to uh, really maximize your capabilities and performance during the matches
2: yeah I think a lot of people whether they're kind of weekend warrior players they don't recognize how much preparation does go into every match for the players and um, I think I said something recently about playing two matches in a day is so brutal um, for when the guys in uh, Rome just have to do that um, and they're like well it's only five sets for some of them and that's just like a one you know one match on at the grand slam and it's really not because of all the preparation. So for me, um, I was starting to prepare probably three or four hours before a match started. So I was up eating, making sure I had the, the right routine of, of the breakfast or lunch, or whatever the, the last meal before it is. But I'm usually on the court uh, about two and a half hours before I'm planning on starting. So get the warm up, get about a 30 minute warm up in of hitting. And even before that, you got to stretch, you got to warm up physically for that. You do that, then you cool down a little bit, you eat a little bit more. And I'd say the biggest... Thing for me um, that I could tell any any uh, you know weekend warrior player, or any four zero five zero player is um, I'm not. I don't say it exactly the same as some of the people would call it visualization, but I would always go over with my coach about I don't know, 30 minutes prior to walking on the court. I'd have a uh, sit down and go over exactly the game plan. Think about what I need to do to be successful. Think about what the opponent is most likely going to do and how they can adjust if I am being successful or how I may need to adjust if, if I'm not being successful. Um, and then just sit with that, with whether it's with headphones in or whatever, but just sit you know, on my own and think about the game plan and go over really in my head for a good five minutes, maybe 10 minutes um just kind of picturing what can happen what that can look like and kind of all the scenarios that can happen one step on the court and for me that gave me a little bit of a calm and a and a a feeling of you know people ask me if I ever got nervous I never got nervous because I felt like I was just prepared for any situation that was going to come you know there are days when you play you know your worst tennis and if that's the worst thing that can happen you got to be prepared for it because it's going to happen if you play six seven hundred matches on tour there's going to be a couple that aren't your best and there's going to be some that go out and your click from beginning to end everything was working well and um that you got to be prepared for as well, and not panic. At oh my goodness, I'm beating someone that's really good, top ten in the world. I'm beating them six two four two. You know, should I? You know, what what happened here? And you just keep going with that. So um, for me, that that sort of visualization uh, can help a lot of people if you're just prepared for every situation that's coming your way.
0: Wow, James, that's incredible advice. I really appreciate that, and I hope that you all are taking notes, at least mental notes. But uh, you know, you, you mentioned about uh, nervousness, and that you you never really got nervous, and that's incredible. And I was wondering, you know, specifically, you know, for these points where say, uh, maybe it's, it's a, you're down a match point or up a match point and it's like the semis or quarters or something of like the U S open, for example. I mean, like what, how, how can you kind of take us through like what you're doing, like before the point in order to ensure that you don't let anything really affect you ex- extraneous factors. And so you can focus on the point.
2: Yeah. My biggest, uh, again, it comes down for me to those, my biggest thing is the preparation. So if I'm at match point up or down, uh, Um, I think about what I do best. You know, you want to play your best point. You want to figure out what you do. For me, that was always trying to get forehands, doing as much as I can to be aggressive and get a forehand. But the other thing I thought about was I've done this thousands and thousands of times in practice. So this point is no different than that. I know I can execute every shot I'm trying to hit. Um, If I miss, I miss because, you know, just the same as in practice. If I do this 100 times in practice and I'm going to make it 85, that means 15 of them I am going to miss. So I have to be okay with that possibility. There's no shot in any sport that you can say you do 100% of the time because you're going to make mistakes you just have to maximize that those percentages uh, for everyone that thought I played low percentage tennis I used to laugh about it and think because I try to do everything to maximize percentages and if that means hitting a low percentage shot when the high percentage shot gives me a greater percentage of losing the point it, I might make the shot but it gives them an opportunity to, to be aggressive and they're going to win it higher I was always trying to maximize my percentages of what I'm going to do best uh, to give me the best chance to win this match and to win numerous matches um, so I, I always felt like okay, I'm down match point. I want to try to get a forehand. How do I best do that? Is that serving it to their backhand to you know have them come back to my forehand or is it serving it to their forehand that's going to come to my forehand? And um, just thinking of ways to get forehands and then go for my shots. If I get a forehand that I feel like I can go for, go for it. And don't be afraid just because of the moment that I, I can't do that because I know, and that's the, where the preparation comes in. I know I've made these shots thousands of times in practice. So go ahead and be aggressive and go for that shot that you know you've made so many times in practice. And that actually took a lot of the, the nervousness away because um, I felt like if I do it right, I can hold my head high when I'm done and say I did what I was supposed to do and this time I missed and if I keep doing it the right way, I'm going to be in the, the, the
0: right position uh, plenty of times throughout my career. Love that, James. Uh, just again, you know, super sage advice and and so as well, you know, James, I think we all get really inspired by stories of how great players and any players really, uh, perhaps they go through a losing streak and then they're able to uh, rise above it and, and, and get through it. So I was wondering if you could maybe speak to it a time in your career maybe where you did go through a tough patch as far as uh, results and, and, and things like that and, and then how you're able to uh, push past it and then uh, and do well once again?
2: Yeah, I think um, when I was coming back from injury in 2005, um, I didn't really know what to expect. Um, I didn't know how my body was going to react. I'd been sick um, for about six, seven, eight months. Um, and so coming back, I, uh, I struggled a little and I lost. Uh, I remember losing a tough match in a Queens club to Grosjean where I had match points um, and then losing at Wimbledon, I guess who I lost too, but I lost the, I remember losing first round there and uh coming back. So now it's starting the hard court summer. And uh, that's usually when I did my best and still kind of struggling a little bit. Um And then it took kind of one or two matches where uh, I remember I felt like I was doing things the right way and still losing Um, to tell me, okay, well, I know I'm close. I know these things are going to come. I'm still doing things the right way. And if they never come, this is where it helped to have a little bit more of the perspective of, of life of like, even if it doesn't come, I know I'm enjoying the process again I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing I'm doing things the right way and if it doesn't come right now you know hopefully at some point it will and if I don't win a lot more matches if I just you know this is sort of my level now where I haven't been able to succeed and break through to even like a second or third round or a quarterfinals of a, of a tour event then that's where it is and I have to be okay with it um because there's you know there's nothing else you can do you can't be you know anything else I always felt like was being greedy because I'm just doing the best I can so I felt like the process was back now I was doing things the right way at that point and before I knew it then I kind of, um, I kind of, it, it's it kind of steamrolled. So I got, I made the finals of DC, uh, lost to Andy Roddick in the finals there. And that was sort of the, the jump back into, into feeling good. And then I, I was, uh, in Cincinnati and thought, okay, now I can do well again. Of course, I happened to draw Roger Better first round because I wasn't needed <laughs> anymore and that didn't go so well. Although I played, I, I played well. Uh, I just, um, lost to him and he was, you know, he, he showed me all always seemed to find a way to show me that there's another gear that he had. Um, but then I went to, um, uh, to New Haven and ended up winning that event and then making the quarters of the US Open and things sort of uh, just kept going in the right direction after I had been really struggling um, earlier in that year and it was a matter of my coach being with me and and keeping my confidence high and believing that the process was still sound I was doing things the right way I just you know maybe wasn't quite all the way back with my um, with my abilities from being sick the year before and um, I had to be okay with that and then once things got going the right way the confidence came back and when the confidence comes back you can really get rolling on tour.
0: Love it, James. Very inspiring. I really appreciate that uh, recounting, you know, how you're able to push through uh, tough times in your career. Also wondering, too. it was very interesting, you know, when you compare different playing styles and and things like that. So I was wondering, you know, when you were on the tour, was there any one player in particular that for your playing style, uh, you know, huge forehand, huge serve, and I mean, all around just great game, but like, was there any one opponent, one or two that gave you the most trouble?
2: Yeah, I mean, the guys that really took the racket out of your hand were the ones that were frustrating to me. The John Isner's, the Ivo Karlovichs, um, those guys were, were pretty frustrating. I mean, even Ivan Ljubičić, to, a, to, a, to a maybe a slightly lesser degree, um, you know, he took the racket out of your hand as well with some huge serving. Um, Andy Roddick was tough. Um, I thought Andy was, was difficult um, in a couple ways. One, he took the racket out of your hand on that serve, but then he competed so hard. Uh, every game you're serving, you think, you know, you play a lot of big servers and you think, okay, you're going to get three points, you're going to get um, some real easy hold, but against Andy, You could be up 40 love and he's competing hard for that point. He's still making you work. So Andy was difficult to play. Um, I really liked, on the opposite side, I loved playing the guys that gave you just a lot of rhythm. Uh, Todd Martin, uh, Nikolai Davidenko, I loved playing him. Um, The guys that made tons of balls uh, made you work, but maybe didn't have huge weapons. They didn't have that serve that just served you off the court. Um, I liked getting into those rallies. For me, partly it was just because it was more fun. Um, Even though I would lose some of them, um, I I liked playing those matches. I liked playing Rafa. I obviously had a decent record against him, but I like playing him uh, more than I would play Karlovich. Um, and even though obviously Rafa's has had a much more success and, and should win more often, but I just I, I just enjoyed those kind of matches and those kind of points a lot more than the, the points where they're um, one or two balls at all uh, and that's it.
0: Gotcha James great so I mean personally I my favorite <laughs> playing style to play against is the one that misses misses all the time. So you know so <laughs> uh, probably Jacks too. <laughs> but uh <Yeah.
1: laughs> introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe more than just a tennis shoe. It's A fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG-1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG-1 at NewBalance.com.
0: But uh, yeah, we actually have some great questions from the audience as well. So there's one from Rodrigo who asked, was, was your preparation for the matches on the tour much different than your preparation in college?
2: Yeah, it just got much more professional. And I I always felt at every level I was at, I tried to be um, the hardest worker at that level. And I tried and I kept pushing that up and realizing how much harder it was at each level. And the same goes for the preparation. The preparation um, for junior tennis might have been you, you know, you, you go hit a couple balls in the park parking lot with your coach and you walk out on the court and you don't do much. And um, then in college, you warm up with your team. And that's where it was, it was a little different because I definitely had a little bit of a different routine um, than the, my college teammates. So I still had to be a team player and warm up the way they did. So it was definitely different in that respect because they like warming up uh, pretty much right as you're going on the court, right before you go on the court, you get the warm up in. And for me, I like doing it a little bit earlier, Um, but we we still did it as a team. And then as I got on tour, I was obviously able to be much more individual. So I got to do exactly what I wanted to do instead of doing the exact same team warm up that uh, that we did for the team. So um, it definitely became different and and more professional. And I, I was not... as into nutrition when i was in college i wasn't as um i, don't know, I just wasn't about, you know sleep about about the warm-up about everything I, I feel like I was good for a college player at doing that stuff but that compared to what the the
0: professionalism on tour was was, was very different awesome James so I, I want to take one more question and then ask you about uh, you know your experience with the marathon and 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 uh, fitness and things but a uh, great question from Victor who is uh, currently playing four or five league tennis with Steve Nash apparently in, in California so that's pretty sick uh, but uh, Victor has, a, has asked, when you had a big match that ended in a loss, did you have a process to react to it? Uh, for example, did you just take time to be alone and grieve, or did you immediately debrief uh, slash look at video with your coach, et cetera? So great question. Uh,
2: yeah. Uh, so mine is, um, I, I was not someone that you wanted to be around after a lot <laughs> of time. Uh, my like I said, my wife now, she couldn't understand it when she wanted to like call after I lost the match. And you like, oh, hey, how's it going? Everything else all right. I, no, 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 weird we're not talking. No. I'll, I'll say something I regret. We, we need to take a couple hours before we uh, we have a normal conversation. And my coach understood that too. He would give me space and we would, we would do the debrief and talk about the match and go all, all over all that kind of stuff, usually the day later. We wouldn't do it right away. And he, he knew better to do that. Um, but it is a little because you then have to go into a press conference. So, um, A lot of times I would be on my own, wait that half an hour or whatever, go to the press conference. And surprisingly enough, like the press conferences made me sometimes feel a little bit better um, because You you then go back over the match a little bit. They talk about some of the specifics. But it also seems like a lot of the press want to make it a doomsday situation. And it seems like every match you lose, it means you're the worst. Every match you win, it means you're the best. So I would always try to sort of nullify that a little bit um, and make it that when they're making it seem like it's the worst thing in the world that I lost the tennis match, I say, hey, this is another pro. This is someone that's competing in just as hard as them. They're doing their best and they won. I'll come back tomorrow and I'll be, you know, I'll, I'll figure out what I need to do. And I'll practice harder and I'll do everything I can to win next time but it's not the end of the world it, it isn't worst thing and then I'll I, you know then it would actually help me a little bit to realize that this is the worst thing in the world that I lost a tennis match I would still be upset for a while I would still go back in my own room and I never would go out to dinner with my friends or anything like that that night I was generally in my own room ordering room service and uh kind of stewing for a bit and then by next morning worry about what I can do to get better that was the, that was one thing that is great about um, tennis and about the floor is there's always next week so as soon as I I, I got to breakfast the next morning. That's when my coach knew, okay, now we can talk about the match, what we did right, what we did wrong, what what needs to be worked on, and if it means we need to take a day off or if it means we need to work harder on something specific or or anything like that. So it was usually by by that next morning that now it's time to to put that behind me, worry about the next match and worry about what I did wrong and, and focus on, on what I can do right.
0: Great stuff, James. And uh, Victor echoes the same sentiment as me, which uh, he was a little surprised because he says, you seem like such a nice guy, James, but... I mean, you know, everyone has their different process, you know, even if you're nice, you could, you know, I mean, this just shows your passion for it. So I love it. Yeah, I no, I was saying I, it
2: is funny because people think that and then that, that that couple of hours right after my match, I, I at least warn people. I tell them you probably don't want to be around me for for a few hours. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's nice of you. You see, there you go. But um, J- James, I want to ask you to, um, you know, I was talking with Jack a little bit on the phone a few weeks ago. And so you recently uh, ran a marathon. Is that right? Yeah, in 2015, I did New York City Marathon. Cool, man. And, and so like how, how was that experience and how is it different from tennis
2: well it was awesome I, I, um, I'm i really happy I did it once uh, we'll see if I do it again but my uh, foundation the James Blake Foundation uh, we've had runners run the marathon for us for, for quite a few years now I think we started in, uh, in 2011 um, with just five runners and they were my friends and raised uh, raised money for the foundation and it's ra- it's uh, gone up to over 30 last year and I ran it so when I in 2015 I didn't have any excuse I retired in 2013 and they kept asking me like, why don't you run it for the foundation too? And I always had excuses and now I got no excuse. So I'm going to do it. So I trained. I'd never. So before running the marathon, I'd never run more than five miles uh, at a time. And since running the marathon, I don't think I've ever run more than five miles. But <laughs> it was, um, was pretty intense. And that's um, that's actually how um, I got to know Jack. And because uh, I had issues with cramping throughout my career and tried just about every formulation, uh, every old wives tale to, to try to fix it, whether it be Pedialyte or pickle juice or salt or salt tablets or anything like that, um, I, I knew I was going to possibly have issues, um, especially if the weather was, was a little warm or anything. I, I was nervous that I would start cramping and um, heard about cramps away and, and tried it in one of my training runs. And I couldn't believe it. And then got to the marathon and um, had a few packets with me just uh, kind of stuffed in my shorts and uh, I needed it. But about mile 18 ish, I started cramping. And I'm always, you know, as an athlete, you feel like you can run through pain, you can run through a lot of stuff. But there's, I mean, there's just no way anyone's had cramping issues, you know, you can't run do that uh, I, i've had to try to play matches with it and you just you can't move you can barely walk so um, mile 18 uh, i'm not going eight more miles just uh, kind of limping uh limping along cramping so i was able to i just took first packet and switched it around and kept going and uh i mean it's not it doesn't it doesn't change the fact that your legs are still tired <laughs> i mean i was still uh still running through the soreness and the pain of running 18 miles but um I, like i said i'm an athlete I, I feel like i can do that i can run through soreness i can run through that kind of pain but um then i it stopped the cramping. I was able to keep going and, um, really, really felt, uh, lucky that I found the product because otherwise I don't know if I would have even finished the marathon. And, um, I definitely wanted to do it. I wanted to set, I set a goal. I wanted to do it in under four hours. I did it with the nine minutes there. I got three fifty one. So for me, I was just trying to, to get through the marathon and, and do that once. Cause I wasn't used to running those kind of distances and, you know, cramps away was what definitely made it possible because I don't think I would have finished otherwise.
0: Love it, James. And, uh, yeah, it's an incredible product. And I'm curious too, uh you know, cause you've been, obviously you're the tournament director of the Miami open. So, I mean, do you see other players also using cramps away as well?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, that's why I then became involved with Jack and with the company is that it, it worked so well that I, I didn't, I, I wanted to say, I want to let them know. And I want to tell them like, Hey, this, I, I, for me, when I was on tour, I wish this was around when I was on tour. Cause this could have made a difference in plenty of matches that I could have won. Otherwise, or that I was nervous going into the match. And so I want a bunch of players know like, hey, if you have issues with cramping, you need to keep this in your bag because it, it gives you that security blanket, that safety net that you're not going to have that issue. You're not going to have to stop a match because you're cramping. Or you're not going to be late in the third set or late in the fifth set. And you've done all the work because for me, when I cramped, it wasn't that I was tired. It was I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'm 100%. I feel fine. And then a cramp hit and then you're done. And so that was what was frustrating because people would say in the locker room, like, you look fine. I, I felt fine. And the next day, it wasn't like I was so tired or I just fatigued my myself it was just you know these cramps happen a lot because of um your nervous system uh you know things that are going on that way so this is a different technology or the different research that has proven that so i let a bunch of players know uh, john isner has been using it um jack sock unfortunately he's been off tour for injury but um uh steve johnson sam query so i'm getting to all the american guys diego schwartzman uh has had some michael eugenie and then i mean sam Wawrinka used it um at the u.s open the year he won it that was because uh, i actually gave it to his host, magnus norman because i know he was doing an iron man coming up which is just crazy by the way, but um, mm-hmm. he did, uh, an absolute beast for doing that. But I gave it to him and it turned out that he felt like Stan was possibly starting to cramp in that uh, final. Back. So he ran back to the locker room, the stuff I had given him a week earlier, and he, he gave it to Stan to use uh, in the US Open Finals. So there've been plenty of players that have used it. Um, and pretty much all the ones that do uh, either give me a call back or shoot me an email or a text and say that, you know,
0: this stuff works and um, let me get some more. <laughs> awesome. yeah, that, That's huge, James. And I know you have to go. So this could just like five words answer because my you know my friend's asking what what can you do to regain your passion for tennis say if you uh, you know if you get bored of it or or burned out
2: for me it would take a couple of days off and then uh, i realized how much i loved it um that was always like when i was a kid that was almost like punishment my coach told me to take a couple of days off and i didn't want to miss it and that's when i knew how much i loved it because if i took two three days off that first day back i one of my, i would always have my best practices because i was so excited to be back on the court so if you don't love it right now take a few days off it's not going to kill you to take a few days off. Uh, It won't hurt your form. It won't hurt your technique. Uh, Take a couple days off, go do something else that you like and see if you come back and love tennis as much as you ever did.
0: Love it, James. Well, I know your time's limited. I, I hope that you have a wonderful day in San Diego and thank you so much for your time and wish you all the best. And thanks for talking about your career and cramps away as well. So thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you, man. Thank you, Jack. All right. I hope you all really enjoyed my interview with James Blake. Thanks again to James. It was actually the second time that I spoke with him. As you all probably know, I had a previous uh, shorter podcast interview with him several episodes ago, probably a year ago. I I honestly forget, but I'll link it in the show notes below at uh, TennisFoz.com slash 96. And also one funny story is when I had that first interview with James, we actually disconnected three times. And I honestly thought, wow... James is never going to speak with me again. Like I didn't know if it was my side or, or James' side, but James, he, he kept apologizing when we reconnected. And so uh, that kind of shows you how nice of a person he is because I know a lot of other people would probably get frustrated with it, but uh, he was just as nice as could possibly be. Uh, but this time, no such issues, so that was great. But uh, in any case, I uh, really hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I would really appreciate it very much if you could leave a review you on uh, iTunes or whatever podcast app that you use to listen to the show uh, for the Tennis Files podcast. So, you know, once you're looking at the podcast in your app, then there'll be a review button somewhere. So if you could leave a review, uh, an honest review about the show, I'd really appreciate it. And uh, also, I would like to leave you with a quote, as I often like to do at the end of a show. And this one, my apologies if I don't pronounce the name correctly, but this quote is by Ditch Nhat and Titch said, today is the most important day of our lives. So uh, yeah, I mean, just live in the present moment and try to do everything you can to improve your life and live your best life, as <laughs> a lot of my friends like to say, sometimes jokingly, but uh, that's that's actual philosophy, try to live your best life. So in any case, thank you so much for listening to the Tennis Files podcast and for all your support of you know what I'm doing at Tennis Files and with the Tennis Summit uh, recently, and yeah, just, uh, just a lot of stuff going on. So, but I'm gonna keep doing more for you all to try to improve your tennis game, and of course, selfishly mine along the way. <laughs> but yeah, we'll improve together. So, uh, thanks so much, and have a wonderful week. All the best, and see you on the next episode of the Tennis Files podcast. Hey, it's Mirabon again. Just want to mention one other thing that I really appreciate from. Cramps Away. Uh, you probably heard James speak about this product uh, during the show, and essentially, it will help you eliminate your cramps in a way like no other product or uh, food can- has done before. And uh, if you want to get a special, uh, exclusive deal that Cramps Away set up just for our Tennis Files listeners, you can go to tennisfiles.com/crampsaway. That's t e n n i s f i l e s dot com slash cramps away c r a m p s a w a y, and you enter in the code files twenty. So that's f i l e s two zero. I know that's a lot of spelling for today, but uh, enter in that code files twenty, and you'll get twenty percent off your order. Uh, and this is exclusive to our tennis files listeners. So uh, if you have trouble with cramping. You definitely, definitely do want to check this out. Uh, You definitely want to check out Cramps Away and try it out and see how it works for you. But it's being used by so many of the top players in the world right now. And not just in tennis, but in many other professional sports on those professional teams. So highly recommend that you check out Cramps Away. And you can do that at TennisFiles.com slash Cramps Away and enter in Files20 for 20% off. And full disclosure, I do get a little bit of a commission if you do choose to make a purchase uh, through Cramps Away uh, through my link, but uh, it really helps support the show and uh, is at no extra cost to you. So if you do choose to purchase uh, Cramps Away, or even if you don't, I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks again for listening. All right. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Tennis Files podcast. For more tips to
1: help you improve your tennis game, visit TennisFiles.com.